protect us in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. Good to see you. Uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about cooties. Um, you remember in the second grade and you play cooties? Yeah? You guys do this? Like there's boy cooties and girl cooties, and you would chase each other around the playground, making sure that you didn't catch cooties. And, uh, but there were antidotes, like when you got cooties, or then there were ways that you could prevent from yourself from getting cooties. And you, we had the cootie spray. You know, cootie spray, you know, you can't touch me. Or cootie spray, now I'm, I'm clean. Remember this? Uh, my, my parents' generation, they, I, they played cooties too. Did you know, I mean, for, for people that are older, because remember, you guys played cooties too. Maybe you just don't remember, but you did. Uh, yeah, see, yeah, thank you. All right. Um, so, in my dad's generation, I, I, I learned that instead of cootie spray, they actually had the cootie shot, the cootie injection, because there was uh, polio going around back those, in those days. And so everybody was getting shots, and so that's, this is one of the ways that they interpreted the cootie game. And then I asked my nine-year-old if, if she plays cooties, and sure enough, they, they same, use the same word, cooties. So they chase each other around the playground and play cooties too. Uh, but instead of the cootie spray and the cootie shot, they take a cootie pill. Isn't that telling of our society? So the cootie pill is the thing that gets you better. So uh, we're going to be talking about cooties today, and uh, specifically in the book of Leviticus. It's a very difficult book. It's, uh, and it's not my favorite book. I actually don't like the book. And, um, but it's, in, it's the word of God, so we got to get into it. And uh, it starts with all of these really weird laws. Uh, Leviticus, it, the name Leviticus comes from the Levites, who were the people that, uh, they were the people that tended the, the tabernacle, or soon to be the, 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 the the temple, so these were the religious folks. And so they, they, they are responsible for the Levitical laws, making sure everything was, was lined up. And when you read Leviticus, it is daunting, and it is, I mean, it's just like one law after another, and if you have a short attention span like myself, you're gonna get bored very quickly, and you're gonna be very confused. Um, if, you're a, if you're like a, an English nerd, you can actually take it, and you can break it apart into... Uh, seven different sections. There's only there's three major themes to Leviticus. There's a ritual theme, so they begin to spell out what the different rituals are. There is the role of the priest, that's the second major theme. And what do priests do and why are they so important? And then the last major one, it's it's the cooties. It's the it's the purity laws, it's the, the clean and unclean issues. Uh, and then it does that in the beginning. There's a really cool part in the middle, which I'll highlight at the end. And then it echoes those three themes at the end. Ritual, worship. They have to establish this ritual worship, what priests are supposed to do and not do, and then more cootie laws. Really big on cootie laws on this. So what is going on? I don't know. Um, at the very end of Exodus, Moses... 
he, you know, we're not quite sure how many times he went up and down the mountain. But, you, you know, if you're here last week, you know the story. He got the Ten Commandments, came down off the mountain. But in addition to the Ten Commandments, he gets all these other laws, all these other instructions. God actually downloads him the instruction manual to make a tent. And so he makes this big, giant tent, the, the tabernacle, which it's, it's, a, it's a portable tent shrine. And it is God's purpose that in this tent shrine, he will live. It's going to be his dwelling place. He is going to come off the mountain and come into this tent. There is a million plus people living under the shadow of Mount Sinai. And God wants to come down and he wants to set up camp right in the middle of everybody. Pretty cool. Um, you have any campers here? You have some couple of campers here? We have people that don't like camping. Yeah. Could you imagine camping for a year with a bunch of, with a million grumpy people? Could you imagine how difficult that would be? So they had to organize all these people. They organized it by tribes. And actually, supposedly, if you get a bird's eye look at the organizational structure of the tribes and where they set up tent, and God's tabernacle was going to be right in the middle of everybody, right in the center. And if you look at it from above, it would, it supposedly it would, make, um, it would make the cross. Interesting, huh? Completely, I don't know if they expected it. They had no concept of cross yet, but that's, what, that's how it lays out. Pretty cool. So, um, he sets up this portable tent shrine, and then at the end of Exodus, God comes down off the mountain, and he enters the tent. He enters the Holy of Holies, and the Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. Did you see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Epic movie. It's probably what it looked like. It might have been a little more Egyptian looking, but that's probably what it looked like. And then in the, where the angels' wings, where they begin to touch, that they don't quite touch. There's like a millimeter of space in between the angels' wings where they, where they come together at the top of the ark on the lid. And that tiny space is where the intensity of God lives. And so he shows up. He said, he's like, I'm gonna, I want to go camping with everybody. It's really what it is. I want to go camping with you guys. And when it's time to go, you know, you'll see the cloud move, and we're going to pack up, and we're going to go camp somewhere else. It says that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Came, basically came off the mountain, fills the tabernacle. And it is so intense. God's presence, his holy, divine, pure, good presence is so intense that not even Moses can go into God's presence. And Moses is the one that's able to talk to God face to face. Not quite sure how that works as one talks to the man or a friend. And Moses is the one that sees the glory of God, the big God. Elohim, he sees God pass, and he's able to look at God's backside as God 
picked him up and placed him in the cleft of the mountain. No one has experienced God's power and glory like Moses had. He's unique. He's one of a kind. And yet he couldn't even stand to be in God's presence. It was too much. It was going to kill him. So that's, that's, that's where Leviticus starts off. And so they got all these people. They're hanging out. They're going to be camping for a year. And in that year, year span of, you know, what do you do when you're camping? Like, like how many times can they go rock climbing? Right? How many times can they roast marshmallows around the fire? They're going to get bored. And God begins to download into Moses the Levitical laws. All these really confusing, complicated, frustrating laws. And what are we to make of them? Let's take a look at some of them. Um, They're tough. It's a tough book. There's no way around it. All right, Leviticus uh, chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right there, we begin to see God's will. Maybe it doesn't completely make sense to them. Maybe it doesn't completely make sense to you. But it is God's will that the people become holy. Holy. Holiness. There's a, there has to be a transformation from the everyday, ordinary type of person into a holy person, into a holy nation, a country of priests is his desire. We learned about that last week. Each of you must respect his mother and father and must observe my, my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make God's cast of metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice fellowship offerings to the Lord, sacrifice in such a way that it will be acceptable on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day that you sacrifice it or the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. Okay, so the first part kind of makes sense, right? Honor your mother and father. That seems common sense. Okay, if you're here last week, yeah, idols are kind of a bad thing. You don't want to make golden calves and worship them. It doesn't go over too well. Sacrificing animals and then eating it, what's that all about? It begins to talk about the ritual laws because they had no formal sense of worship. They hadn't really done church before. So somebody's got to write a rule book on how to do church. And so the concept of sacrifice comes into play. Of course, all ancient civilizations, they're already sacrificing animals to their gods. Why? Because they want to appease their gods. And the gods, the, the, you know, the, the Horuses and the Baals and the Asherahs, and, you know, they're like the Zeus and the Apollo and the Aphrodite. They're basically 
uh, humans with power. They have very, they have very humanistic uh, tendencies. They, you know, they sleep around and they do naughty things and they just happen to be gods. But Yahweh is completely different. He is set apart. He is holy. He is one. He is pure. And when you, when you worship him, when you offer sacrifices to him, it's not to appease him. There's, only, there's two things that you do when you worship. One is you give thanks to God. You give thanks offerings. That's the one thing you do. So you're just going to, you know, you're going you're gonna, to uh, bring him the best lamb that you have, or you're going to bring him some money, or you're going to bring him some grain. And the, the purpose is to say, God, thank you for delivering me out of the bondage of slavery. That's, that's part one. Part two is you're going to give a sin offering for the forgiveness of your sins. God, I, uh, I did a lot of naughty things this week. I, better, I need to ask for forgiveness, and so here's my sin offering. So that was their form of worship, those two things. Okay? Verse 11. Do not steal... Do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your Lord, I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go around spreading slanderous among, slander among your people, gossip. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Jesus quotes Leviticus quite a bit, actually. This all makes sense, right? These are all... Like, kind of common sense laws. Like, I can, yeah, this, this, this I should take literally, right? Do you believe that you should take this literally? Yeah, don't steal, don't rob, you know, don't use the Lord's name in vain. This is stuff that, that, that you could easily take quite literally. Love your neighbor as yourself. You, as you know, in the New Testament, is the greatest of the commandments. Some other interesting ones. All right, let's skip to 26. Do not eat any meat with blood in it. What? Why not? What, what's wrong with that? I, I like blood sausage. It tastes good. Why can't I eat meat with blood in it? That's weird. All right. Okay, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just move on. Do not practice divination or sorcery. Okay, that one makes sense. Don't play with tarot cards. Don't read your horoscope. Don't let your kids play with Ouija boards. 
And trust me, folks, if you do, I guarantee you've released something in your house and you will pay the consequences for it. I 100% guarantee it. Don't mess around with witchcraft. Don't, just don't do it. All right, sorry. All right, here we go. Uh, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Rut row. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem because every man in this room has got short hair. Except for Doug. Doug's the only man. <laughs> Doug's the only man in this room that is not living in sin right now. <laughs> right? He's the only one. When he ate blood sausages. <laughs> yeah, he's, unless he's had some blood sausage lately, yeah. So what are we going to do with this? Gets better. Don't cut your bodies for the dead. Or put tattoo marks on yourself. Okay, that's probably going to disqualify another half of us in this room. <laughs> I am the Lord. Don't degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute. You would think that that one would be common sense too. Or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary, I am the Lord. Do not seek mediums or seek out spiritualists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. All right. So this is tough stuff, right? Because what are, what are we supposed to do with the short hair thing and the tattoo thing? Because like the, the stuff that we read earlier, you can take it literally. But if you continue that thought process, and if you take the scriptures literally, then every man in this room, again, is living in sin. What are we to do with this? It pushes us into the realm of interpretation. And it's just an unfortunate truth. It's, just, it's what we have to do. What is really going on here? Why, why can't we cut our hair short? And why, why can't we trim our beard? What, what, and why tattoos, what's going on with that? All right? Now, they've spent a year in the wilderness, and God wants to move them out. He desperately wants to push them into the promised land. He has a bigger vision for their life than they do. He wants to get them out of the grumbling and the griping and the whining and the complaining and the making excuses for the situations that they're in. And he wants to push them into the promised land. But here's the problem. They have to be rewired. Like their whole way of thinking, their whole way of processing, their entire culture has been based on a cult the cult of Egypt. They're more Egyptian than they are Hebrew. In fact, they haven't even figured out what Hebrew is yet. There's nothing culturally Hebrew or Jewish about these people. And so what God is saying is, and what Leviticus is saying, this very difficult book, is saying you have to be a holy nation. You have to think differently. You have to look differently. You have to eat differently. You have to worship differently. Everything about you has to be different. 
uh, Canaanites, the, the people, the, the natives, I guess they were the natives, they're going to get their land taken away from them because that's what God promised. Um, Israel was not born into the land. They were not natives of the land. They were there to take it away from the bad people. And the Canaanites were the bad people. And I guess the Canaanites had short hair. And I guess the Canaanites had tattoos. And the Canaanites cut themselves in their ritualistic worship. So this is, this is, how, this is how we interpret it. Okay, so they have to look differently. They have to act differently. They have to eat differently. There has to be a clear delineation from the Canaanite culture to God's culture. That's what he's saying. That's why it's difficult. All right. Then in verse 20, we get the punishment for having short hair. Punishment for sins. It's not good, folks. It is, it, this is why Leviticus is so difficult. Because not only do you have your ritualistic laws and you have a higher standard for the priests, the priests have got a much higher standard to live up to than, than everybody else. And then you have the purity laws, the sexual laws. Uh, it's very difficult stuff. This is why Leviticus is, um, it gets a bad rap. It gets a, it gets a really bad uh, uh, a judgment of it. We look at it, I'm, I myself, I don't like the book. I'll be, be straight up honest with you. I don't like this book. It's difficult. Why? Because God kills everybody. The, the, the sexual moral, uh, moral laws are huge. They are very daunting. Don't have sex with the prostitute. Don't have sex with your sister. Don't have sex with your mother. Don't have sex with your mother and your sister at the same time. It's like you gotta spell these things out. You'd think that these would be common sense. Don't have sex with animals. Don't have sex with men. Uh, what was the other one? Don't have sex with your aunt. And if, if you do any of these things, guess what? You die. They kill you. And it's like, oh my gosh, what did I sign up for? What, what kind of a religion is this? I thought God was a good and loving and forgiving God. Why in the world would he kill you because I want to have sex with my sister? Hmm? Why would he do that? Why, why, okay, I want to cut my hair short. I want, to be, I want to be myself. I want to look, you know, I want to have my own identity. Why, why, why would God consider that sin? All right, listen to this. Verse 20, punishment for sin. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any Israelite or any alien living in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch must be put to death. Again, here's God killing people. All right, what's going on? The people of the community are to stone him. I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from his people. For giving his children to Moloch, he has defiled my sanctuary, and he has profaned my holy name. If the people of the community close, 
Uh, their eyes, when they see that man, gives one of his children to Moloch, and they fail to put him to death. I will set my face against that man, and his family will be cut off from their people, both him and, his, and all that follow him, and, and prostituting themselves to Moloch. Who in the world is Moloch? Moloch is one of the big, bad Canaanite gods. He was the god of war. He was basically equivalent to Mars. If you wanted success on the battlefield, you sacrificed to Moloch. If you want success in your business, you sacrifice to Moloch. If you want to make more money, you sacrifice to Moloch. And the ultimate expression is to sacrifice your children. That's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck, is sacrificing your own children. So this is what is going on in Canaan. Among that, they were doing a lot of other horrible things. So why is this in here? Because the Israelites had this in them. The reason why these really strange laws are in here is because the Israelites were actually doing these things. You know, people were sleeping with their aunts and their mothers and animals. <laughs> that was going on. That's why these laws are in here. Now, who's the patriarchs from last week? Last couple of weeks. Who are our patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? This is how complicated and frustrating Leviticus can be. Because who is Abraham married to? His sister, his half-sister. So he's already, the, the founder of the faith has already broken the law. He, I mean, he didn't have the law, but you think that he would have known better, Right? Common sense. You should, probably shouldn't marry your half-sister. Uh, in Leviticus, it describes that as being profane. It's like one of the worst sins that you could possibly do is marrying one of your siblings. Even your half-siblings, you don't do it. It also says, Leviticus also says, you can't marry a woman and her sister. Well, who does that? Jacob does. So our founding fathers of our great faith have already messed up two of the great laws of the, of the of Levitical law. Wow. See how you get your head around this stuff? It's tough, isn't it? It gets even weirder. All right, so we've got, we got these really weird laws that God will kill you for. Uh, you have... Ritualistic worship that God needs to make sure that there's a, a, there's a delineating distinction between worshiping Yahweh and worshiping Moloch. Like when you worship Yahweh, don't throw your kids into the fire. <laughs> Although you might feel like throwing your kids into the fire, don't throw your kids into the fire. <laughs> Yahweh, Yahweh actually values life. Doesn't want you to kill your children. Except that one time with Isaac. That was kind of weird, but... You know, when Abraham's trying to kill his son, but that, that didn't work out. All right, so God doesn't want you to kill your kids. By and large, that's never going to happen again. And then there's these really weird purity laws. Like cootie laws. You touch a dead body, guess what? You got cooties. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't, you didn't sin, but now you've got cooties. 
Now you can't go into the tabernacle. Now you can't worship because you're, you're, you're impure. You got slimed. I guess Ghostbusters is coming out again. Remember Ghostbusters? And you get, you know, like when you're in the world and when you're doing stuff and when you're doing ministry specifically, you start getting around messy people and you get slimed. It's like their sin jumps off of them and jumps on you. You didn't do anything wrong, but you get impure. And what Leviticus is saying is you can't enter into God's presence when you're impure. So there's this really weird psychological tension between uh, death and birth in the, in the New Testament. So we, and it, it's psychological. It's just kind of bred into us. And this is what gets, it, gets, it, gets, it comes out of the scriptures. So, you know, the dead bodies will defile you. Actually, if you come across a carcass and you touch it, you get defiled. Like, ah, dang it, I got cooties again. You know? Again, I don't, I don't like this book. You know, right? right you may understand why. It's a difficult book. I don't like this book. <laughs> I kid you not. I was reading this last week. And... Um, uh, so when a priest's role is not only just for sacrificial worship, he's actually a, he's a doctor. He's a medical doctor, too. And they're also responsible for um, uh, public health, public hygiene. So one of the other things that will defile you is mold in your house. How many people have had to deal with mold in your house? It's annoying, right? Well, guess what? If you've got mold in your house and you're sleeping in your house, you got cooties. And your house has cooties. And it's not like you sinned, but you got cooties, and then you can't worship because you have mold in your house. What, what, what's the deal with this? It's because you have a million people crammed into a tight space, camping together. And if all of these people, if they get germs spread around, and if they're fornicating all over the place... There's going to be sexually transmitted diseases. There's going to be epidemics in the camp. People are going to get sick. And so, the, so the, the, the priests have actually got to function as public health servants. And so they got to make sure that there's cooties and, you know, that, that your house doesn't have cooties. And they'll make it clean. They'll make you clean. They'll wash you. So there's all this kind of stuff. Wash it. So it's ritualistic, but it's also medical. We don't quite understand everything, but that's what's going on. And if you, you know, if you get... If you get a skin disease, then you've got cooties. If you get a little rash, you've got cooties. So I kid you not, I'm reading this last week. Uh, I, reading, I was reading it Saturday. And uh, I think it's Leviticus 13. It says, if you get a sore on your head or a sore on your chin, uh, you have a defiling skin disease, and you are unclean, and you get kicked out of the camp. And you have to live outside of the camp for seven days until it goes away. Or live, and then the priest has got to inspect you to make sure that you don't have something that's going to spread and get everybody else sick. So I'm reading this. And on Sunday, I get this big, giant, I get this big, giant uh, sore on my chin. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And it's, and, and it's like, it's huge. It's like the size of a, of a half dollar, and it's oozing, and it's disgusting. It's driving me nuts. And I, I, so I, I go to the doctor, and I got full-blown infantigo. So I am, like, unclean. It's not, I got to take care. Don't worry. So if I hugged you, it's okay. I'm on, I'm on so, so I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I had to shave my beard, which was very difficult to do, because my beard was epic. I mean, my, my beard, 
My beard made fun of other guys' beards. My, my beard... My, my beard was making my face pay rent. You know, it... It was really difficult. So I had, that's, why, that's why it's shaved. And I kept the mustache because Sophia wanted me to. So it's all about my daughter right now. Uh, so it's like, okay... All right, okay, how do I, how do I process this? Because literally, I read the verse, and within 24 hours, I get this defiling skin disease on my chin. Like, well, it's like, like that's, just, that's just literal. What is going on? So how do you, how do you, what are you supposed to do with this kind of stuff? All right, so is this from the devil? Is this a spiritual attack? Or is this God doing a funny? <laughs> is this God's sense of humor? So actually, I'm going to choose. I, I choose that this is God's sense of humor because I don't like Leviticus. <laughs> I mean, the other option is I'm under attack and the devil's winning and he's giving me all these inflictions, right? So those are my options. So I'll just choose that God's going to uh, play a joke on me because I didn't want to do this lesson. Hmm? All right. All right, uh, Leviticus is really strange, and the, the reason why I don't like it, it's because there's no good stories in it. Yeah. Um, there are no good stories in Leviticus, and I like to tell stories, and I like to read stories, but there's, not, there's this one story, and it's very short, and it's just a paragraph, and again, uh, one of the major themes is the priesthood, and why they have to live up to a higher standard, why they have to jump through so many hoops, and they are to go into the Holy of Holies, and because the Israelites said, they told Moses, they told everybody, we don't want to talk to God. He's too much for us. We can't handle the guilt. We can't handle the shame. We don't want to have a personal relationship with Yahweh. We want you to do it, and we want, to be, we want you to intercede. We want you to be the mediator between us and God. That was man's decision. It was not God's will. God's will was that every person would have the same experience as Moses did. But they chose not to. So they got a mediator instead. They got a priest instead. And so they get, they get, this, they get this priesthood. And Aaron, remember last week, Aaron makes the calf and comes up with the lamest excuse in all of history. Oh, I just threw some gold in the fire and out popped this calf. It's like, you know, that's like saying... I don't know what happened, God. All of a sudden, this prostitute ended up in my bed. Where'd she come from? Right? How'd the cigarette get in my mouth? It just came out of my mouth, right? And so we, this is the same kind of logic Aaron uses. It's like, how did the, you know, this calf came out? And so he was, Aaron was destined to be the high priest and even though he messed up, and it's my opinion that God should have smoked him too, but he didn't, <laughs> probably because of what he did in facing off Pharaoh, there's something that Aaron did that gave him a little bit of favor. I don't get it, but that's between him and God. But he becomes the high priest and his sons. They have to do, there's like some 600, and 600 plus little rules and rituals that we have to abide by to become ritualistically pure, to enable to go into God's presence. 
Like if you don't have all of these things taken together, you know, all of these things taken care of, if you're not perfect, if you're not pure, uh, if you have, like, then there's the, the food laws. Like if you, had, if you had bacon, you can't come to church. I know. Thank God for Jesus, right? Thank God for Jesus. Um, other weird laws, like you can't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Not a kid as in your children, but <laughs> it, you can't boil, a, you can't boil a, a goat in its mother's milk. And then the way that that gets interpreted, the way that that, you know, again, they have to like, what is that supposed to mean? Is it means you cannot mix meat and dairy. So you can't eat a cheeseburger, and it's really bad to have a double cheeseburger with bacon on it. A bacon cheeseburger is really bad. You can't do that. When I, when I was in Israel, they opened up um, the Hard Rock Cafe in Tel Aviv, and they could not keep the place open because people kept on throwing rocks through the windows because they were serving up bacon cheeseburgers. So they had to change their menu because the culture was so strong that they weren't going to put up with something that broke kosher law. Can we? Pretty huge, huh? So the priests are held to a higher standard. And uh, as they begin to kick off uh, the, the tabernacle worship in their portable tent shrine with the Ark of the Covenant behind this curtain of the holies of holies, only the high priest can go in. And so Aaron's sons are, are assigned to go in, his first two sons. Um, Nadab and Abihu. This is their story. This is pretty much the only other story in, the, in Leviticus. And it's really short. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, this is chapter 10, took their censers. Those are, uh, censers are uh, incense burners. They're, um, you know, things in the Catholic church that you swing around and they have incense and fire in them. They put fire in them and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all people, and I will be honored. Aaron shut his mouth. All right, what in the world is going on here? God's killing more people. And God dissed, he just consumed two of his priests on the spot. Why? What is going on? Why would God do something so drastic to, to his priests? To spontaneously combust them and in the, you know, in the tabernacle? All right, here's what's going on. I guarantee you that they had all 600 plus laws taken care of. They weren't eating shrimp. They weren't eating bacon. They hadn't touched a dead body in a while. Uh, they hadn't had sex with their spouse for, I forgot what the period is, like, I don't know, 42 hours, you can't have sex with your spouse. So they were doing all of these ritualistic things to keep them pure and to keep them holy, to make sure that they didn't have any sin, any unharbored sin. So I guarantee you that they took care of all of those issues. Yet, the nuance is, 
when they're about ready to go into God's presence to minister to the Lord, they got their sensors out, they reach into their pocket, and they get their Zippo lighter, and they light the fire. That's what did it. That's what did it. It was their unauthorized fire that was not acceptable. It's also called strange fire. Your Bible might say strange fire or unauthorized fire. And what they are saying is, I am so good. I have followed all the rules. I have dotted all the I's. I've crossed all the T's. I put my garment on in the right way, in the ritualistic way. I put my right leg, get rid right of my pants, and then my left leg. And then I did my little spin around. I said my little chant. I'm good to go. Let's light my fire. And they went into God's presence. And what is that saying? Guess who was supposed to light the fire? God. God was supposed to light the fire. And what they are saying is, God, I have followed all the rules. I don't need you. I can worship on my own terms. I can light my own fire. Thank you very much. I don't need your divine presence. And you might think that this doesn't apply. You might think that it's kind of weird, but I'm going to tell you, it does apply to our everyday lives because we do this all the time. We think that we're good little boys and girls, and therefore, God owes us stuff. We make decisions, or we want stuff, and we expect God to bless it. God, I want this thing so bad. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. It, I, I would be so happy if I had this thing, if I, if I had this object, I want it, and I want you to bless it, and I'm going to push it into your holy presence. And God can't bless it because it's your idea. It's because you are manipulating the game. And that is what Nahab and Abihu did. They manipulated the game by lighting their own fires. There might have even been cultic stuff in there. There's all kinds of speculation of what the strange fire was. Oh, God, I just want to, I want this person so bad. I'm in love with this person. I know they don't love Jesus. I know they're not a believer. And even though I am a believer, I want this. And so therefore, God, I want you to bless it. I want you to, I want you to bless my bad decision. Have you ever done this? Have you ever asked God to bless your bad decision? Or is that just me? This is a difficult passage, isn't it? Whenever we think that our own righteous acts are better than God's plan, that becomes unauthorized fire. It becomes strange fire. Anything that is not our, anything that is not God's will, but is our will, that we try and forced into God's presence so he'll accept it. It's strange fire. God is, um, God is like the sun. He is like he is the sun out in the galaxy, not, not Jesus the sun, but he's like the sun out in the galaxy, that, that orb of, of fire and plasma and energy. It is intense. It is pure. It is power. It is good. Yet a spaceship can't go around it without becoming consumed. 
God, Elohim, Yahweh, our Redeemer, the big God in the sky, he's the same way. And we cannot come into his presence unless we are clean. We can't. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. How does this all tie together? All right, let's look at Hebrews real quick. Hopefully you'll, sigh, you'll just breathe a big sigh of relief and you won't feel guilty about that tattoo that you have. <laughs> Hebrews chapter seven, verse 11. You ready for this? If perfection could have been attained through Levitical priesthood for on the basis of it, on the basis of its law that was given to the people, why was there then no need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there also must be a change of the law. What? Okay, Jesus says it too. Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. Then he goes on to say, every bit of it is, is, is divinely inspired. You can't take away or add a single line or letter into the word of God. I have come to fulfill it. Don't mess around with the word of God. You can't rewrite it, and you can't manipulate it to say what you want it to say. It is holy, as I am holy. And then he goes on to say, when somebody strikes you on the cheek, you're to turn the other cheek. This is the fulfillment of the law. But wait, I thought you said Moses said an eye for an eye. So yeah, I know that. But I am the fulfillment of the law. I am the new covenant. He is in the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is the priest that encountered Aaron after a battle, and he is the one from Salem. Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and he's also the king of Salem, which means that he's the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace, and there is no lineage for Melchizedek. There is no dead, there's no, he's not in the lineages. He's not, he's not born. He never dies. And he offered Abraham communion, bread and wine. He offered it. It was a relationship. And so Jesus was not born out of a Levitical line. You'd think that he would be. You'd think that that would be logic. But he was born out of the kingship line. He came out of the lineage of Judah. So he is not like Aaron. He is the new priest. He is the new high priest that goes in and intercedes for us. He is that divine spark and that divine fire. And not only is he the new priest under this new covenant and this new relationship, he's also the sacrifice. Okay, remember I said that there were seven parts to Leviticus? There's the first three, which deals with ritual, uh, priesthood, and purity laws, kudis. And then at the end of of Leviticus, it does the same thing. Ritual worship, priesthood, and more kudis laws. You can't eat tasty food. And, And in the middle, 
is the Day of Atonement celebration. The Day of Atonement. The Day of the Atonement happened only once a year where they took two goats. I don't know why they didn't do sheep. Who knows? It doesn't make sense. But they did goats. You think that they, so you think that they would have done sheep, but they did goats. It's just this is the way they did it. So they take two goats, and it is for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation. All of their sins, all together, one time in one shot. The, ones, the, the sins that they knew that they did and the sins that they didn't know that they did. Have you ever committed a sin and you didn't realize it? Yeah. Have you, I, even the uncleanliness, even the cooties, the Day of Atonement took care of the cooties, made them all clean, all in one shot. They had two goats. One is sacrifice for the sins. It is that blood offering. It is not by the, you know, the forgiveness of sins only happens when there is shedding of innocent blood. So the goat gets cut, and, and we know that that kind of represents Jesus because Jesus died. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So we see Jesus in being sacrificed on the altar in that, for, that fashion. And then there's another goat. And the other goat, the priests lay their hands on this goat and Symbolically, maybe, I don't know how it works. I, don't, I think symbolically is probably too weak of a word to use. But they transfer everybody's sin into this goat. A year's worth of sin gets transferred into this goat. And then they take the goat, they kick it in the butt, and they make it run out into the wilderness. And it's called the scapegoat. You ever heard that term scapegoat? That's where we get it from. And Why? Jesus is both. He's the sacrificial lamb, in this case, the sacrificial goat, but he's also the scapegoat that takes our sins and he takes them out into the desert, out of our communities, out of our camp, out of our families. He's our scapegoat. If you're still confused about Leviticus, whether you should like let your hair grow out and let your beard grow out and you know, get your tattoo removed and all this kind of stuff, you need to read, read Hebrews. Read 6, 7, and 8, and you will see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, that we don't have to live by a set of rules, that now we live by the law of grace. The law of grace, that is the new covenant. Again, 600 plus laws that they're supposed to follow. You know what's harder? Trying to memorize all these laws or grace. I'm going to tell you grace is harder. It would be much easier for me to follow a rule book than to follow grace because grace requires me to go into a personal relationship with the Savior And what is good for me might not be good for you because God deals with this in the terms of grace. Have you ever worked with a large corporation where you've never met the CEO or the boss? What do you get? You get an employee handbook, a a big thing of rules, and you've got to follow them or else you're going to get in trouble. How many people have worked for a small family business? where you have to hang out with the boss every day. It might drive you nuts, but at least you have, you probably don't even get an employee handbook because the, rela- the working relationship is based on relationship, not on rules. Does that make sense? And that's what God desires for us. 
He, wants, he had to write these rules down because people were doing really horrible things. He actually had, okay, he's like, oh my gosh, their moral compass is broken. I literally have to write this down. Do not murder somebody. Do not sleep with your own children. You think that that would be common sense, but their moral compass was broken. He had to write it down. But see, we're beyond that now. We're into this new covenant where Jesus comes in and he deals with us specifically on specific issues. He might be saying to me, turn your TV off, Josh. You can never watch it again. It's not good for you. It's not holy. But for you, you might have 10 TVs in your house, and that's perfectly okay with you and God. God doesn't have a problem with that. Could you imagine if Jesus did not come and we had to still live by Torah, by these laws? You know what would happen? They would have to get interpreted even more. We would have to expand them even more because we'd have to separate the culture from that culture. See, Jesus comes in and he invades cultures and he makes them form to himself. That's why we can have a culture like this that's beautiful. I can go over to India. Everybody's dressed differently. Everybody has different social economic status. They sing differently. They sing Indian music but they love Jesus. And instantly I can have a connection with an Indian woman that has absolutely nothing in common with me because Jesus got a hold of us both. If we hadn't had Jesus come along, this is what would have happened. We would have to reinterpret it, just like the Jews do today. They have to rewrite their laws continually to make sure that they can preserve their Jewish culture. And the rules will say the rules would say you have to separate yourself from the culture. You can't, and this is probably what it would look like. You can't watch TV. You do have to grow your hair out. You do have to wear your beards. Uh, you can't look on the internet ever again. You can't, do, you can't do this. You can't do that. We would have a set of rules. We would dress a certain way. Christians would have to dress a certain way and look a certain way to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world. You know how we get to do it today? You know how we do it today? It's our hearts. The sign of the covenant is circumcision. The physical sign of the covenant in the Old Testament is circumcision. The sign of the covenant of the new covenant is the circumcised heart. I can't, sometimes I can. But generally, I cannot see into your heart. I cannot judge your spirit. Sometimes I, I can. I can judge your fruit, but I can't judge your heart. But the world will know us by our fruit. And we'll be able to get a glimpse of our heart. So we don't have to dress a certain way, look a certain way. God will tell us what we need to do. Go and move into a relationship of grace. It's so freeing. We're not bound to these Levitical laws anymore. It is an important book, though. Don't, don't do what I did, or you're going to get infantigo on your face. If I could have the band come up to the front. It's okay if you don't want to hug me this morning. <laughs> and I thank God I didn't get banished for seven days. Yes. 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 Yet. 
Um, God is holy. He is pure. He is good. And when we notice that, the proper response is worship. What does worship look like to you? What, for you, and where you're at, what does a holy life look like? What is holiness to you? What are areas in your life that are unclean? What are areas, and, and, and because it's unclean doesn't mean, mean that it's sinful. Does that make sense? It's just keeping you from entering God's presence. What areas of your life are sinful? And what's the proper response? Thanksgiving and repentance. That's, what, that's all God requires. An offering of thanksgiving and an offering of forgiveness. Go ahead and have the ushers come to the front. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you visit us each and every Sunday. And God, I pray right now that we will just take your presence seriously, God. That we will respond with proper worship. That we won't respond with strange fire or unauthorized worship, God. But we will expect you to tell us what is good in our life and what is not good in our lives. God, right now I pray that your Holy Spirit would just do an incredible work. And where we need to bend our knee in certain areas, God, I pray you give us the courage to do that. God, you are holy. And we want to be in your presence at all costs. So God, I pray right now that you will just show us how we can be holy as you are holy. Because we know that that is your will. We love you, Lord.